He's an associate professor of environmental policy at The Ohio State University, and he wrote, directed, and produced a documentary titled And Water for All. The documentary takes on the issue of water affordability in Ohio, but has lessons for the Great Lakes region and beyond. Water affordability is top of mind for many families as costs go up for everyday goods, squeezing household budgets, which makes this documentary more timely than ever. The challenge of affordability there is definitely different than the challenge of the challenge of affordability in a neighborhood where you know most people or a, a big chunk of the people are living under the poverty line, right? These are these are very different populations, yet all of them are talking about affordability. So that's another goal of the movie, right? What do we mean when we talk about affordability? Is affordability the same across you know different communities? Well, clearly it's not. Hello and welcome to Lakes Chat, the show that dives into all things Great Lakes. I'm your host, Jennifer Caddick with the Alliance for the Great Lakes. In today's episode, we're talking with Ramiro Barardo, an associate professor of environmental policy at The Ohio State University. He's written, directed, and produced a new documentary titled And Water for All, which premiered on World Water Day in late March. The documentary takes on the issue of water affordability in Ohio, but has lessons for the Great Lakes region and beyond. It examines the challenges that governments and communities are facing to ensure access to clean, affordable water now and in the coming decades. So hi, Romero. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Jennifer. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. I had a chance to watch the documentary. I've watched it twice now. Um, and uh, it's just fantastic. And and I learned a lot, even though I've, I've worked on these issues for a while. Um, but for our listeners who might not have seen the documentary yet, give us the, a brief synop- a synopsis. Um, yeah, sure. So uh, this is a feature length documentary. It's uh, about 55 minutes long. Um, we've decided to tell the story of water affordability here in Ohio. We started working on this documentary uh, over a year ago, uh, the beginning of 2021. We started with the pre-production and we basically spent about a year uh, putting it together. And yeah, like I was saying, we basically tell the story of water affordability in Ohio and we sort of do it with kind of like an, an unusual approach, I would say, because we have like these four vignettes or like, you know, almost mini docs that are embedded in the in the bigger movie. Um, and we have like two uh, small communities here in Ohio. One, it's uh, called New Water for the village of New Water for, which is in Columbiana County, uh, close to the border with Pennsylvania. Then we have uh, another even smaller community called um, Mount Air, which is in the metropolitan area here in Columbus. Um, super small, it's about 65 uh, houses in that neighborhood. Basically they have their own water system. And then we have two big, um, big cases uh, or, or yeah, what we call case studies basically, but these are the city of Toledo and the city of Cleveland. Um, so yeah, so those are the, the the four main stories that we're telling in the documentary. We think that they are representative these four communities of you know most uh, communities in Ohio, right? I mean, most uh, small places in Ohio they have their own water systems, and then we have the big cities. And you know the discussions about affordability are different in these places, right? So we're just, t- just basically using these four uh, places as you know a sample. Uh, of what you would see in other places in Ohio as well. 
Yeah. I think that's great. And I was really excited to see the breadth of communities. You know, a lot of times documentaries have only have time to focus on one. And I think you give us a really great synopsis in the film of the different challenges faced by both rural and urban communities. And, you know, some of the research you profile in the documentary, and you've got Dr. Manny Teodoro, who's fantastic. We've worked with him here at the Alliance for the Great Lakes. You know, he, his research shows that you know, water affordability is a challenge for all kinds of communities. Um, you know, I think it's sometimes pigeonholed as just a urban issue, which yeah. that's a, a loaded, um, a loaded uh, term there. Um, and you really tackle that head on. So, you know, what did you find as you talked with community members and water system providers across the state about how that affordability issues is impacting communities? Yeah, so it's good that you brought up the, the work of Manny Teodoro. Um, I actually know him from before. I'm a political scientist just like him. And so we run in the same circles, you know, and I've always been interested in the topic of water. So when I decided to uh, to do this documentary, he was the first person that I thought about because I know that the research he does, it's uh, very on point um, and, you know, very relevant for this discussion. So he's a foremost expert, you know, one of the foremost experts in the U.S., I would say, on water affordability. Um, so what did we find? Um, really, like you said, you know, um, we tend to put the emphasis on large communities when we think about affordability. But in reality, most public water systems in the U.S., they serve a very small number of people, right? So here in Ohio, and this is something that we brought up in the movie, in Ohio, and that comes from the research of Manny Todoro, um, you know, there's there's about 1,200 um, public water systems in Ohio, and 26 of those serve about over half of the population of the whole state of Ohio, right? So we have 26 large utilities mostly in our big cities, obviously, that serve so many people. But then you have, you know, 1,100 plus public water systems that deal with very small numbers of people. And we never pay attention to this, right? And those are places where affordability issues are always uh, very serious because they just don't have the, the you know, the, the taxpayer base basically to update their water infrastructure um, to high standards uh, without actually charging people a lot for doing that. And so, you know, we learned that this is a very fragmented uh, policy area, right? Uh, water is inherently a local issue and we are used here in the U.S. to, you know, opening the faucet and having this clean water come out of it. We never have to think about what it takes um, to produce that clean water and the sort of financial struggles that people have to go through to you know provide this service. Um, so yeah, we learned that affordability is an issue everywhere. You know, it's not mm -hmm. only an issue in big cities, it's an issue everywhere you go. There's always somebody who's struggling um, to make sure that the service is provided uh, with a high level of quality and at an affordable price. The other thing that I learned that, that I think it's interesting is that, you know, um, uh, everybody, everybody that we met wants to really make sure that the service is affordable. So mm -hmm. we don't have a boogeyman here. You know, this is not, 
you know, a documentary where there's like somebody who's nice and good and somebody who's evil, right? Everybody who we met, um, people from the NGO sector, but also people from the utility sector, they really want to achieve this goal of providing an affordable service. Now, that's the goal that we all share, but of course, how to get there is where it gets tricky, right? Um, because for an NGO working on the topic of affordability, well, you look at something like water shutoffs, and you know that's anathema, right? I mean, these things shouldn't shouldn't happen. Water is such a basic thing that we talk about water as a, as a right, right, as a human right. Um, international organizations do this all the time. People need water. Then you go and talk to the utilities, and they say, yeah, well, yeah, you know. It is a right, but at the same time, how are we going to pay for this infrastructure? That The money has to come from somewhere. That's where it gets tricky, right? Who pays for these things? Um, and we definitely try not to you know, answer that question for the viewer, right? We're trying to like just show both sides of the argument, but also show people that even though there's two sides of the argument, these two sides don't necessarily have to fight each other. You know, They can actually work. Um, with each other. And that's one of the most uh, inspirational things for me, that if you watch the movie, you'll see that we you know, try to focus on histories or stories, sorry, of success, right? Uh, not failure, just to show people that, you know, we can move towards affordability and we can do it in a way that brings people together, working together towards this, this goal. So that's a long rambling answer yeah. for your question, but I hope I, I answered it. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think there are some really powerful examples of partnerships, you know, that you talk about. Um, and I just was so struck, you know, I know a little bit about Cleveland and, and Toledo, two of the cities that that the big water supply systems and, and their challenges. And we'll talk about those in a second. But I was so struck by the example of Mount Air, which is that tiny little pocket, almost a neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. And they were literally doing it themselves. It was like just this regular guy who had gone, it sounds like had gone through the training and he was out in his back, looked like maybe his backyard testing the water. So tell us a little bit about that neighborhood. And, um, you know, it was them doing it for themselves saying, okay, we got to figure out how to get water. Um, but it eventually had to partner with a larger utility because it just was becoming unsustainable. That's right. This was actually a lucky strike for us because we, um, I live very close by. Um, I, I live about half a mile away from that community. And I knew um, because of a different uh, experience we had here a number of years ago where uh, we have a, a, a water treatment plant very close by to the neighborhood. Um, I learned about this other community, this next door community, basically, where, like you said, you know, we had this one person, one neighbor who has to take care of the system because nobody else would do it. So, you know, this is a gentleman that moved to the area uh, a number of years ago and, you know, he was approaching retirement. So, you know, he had a little bit more time and he's like, okay, I'm going to become the operator of the water system for, uh, for Mount Air. And he did, he went through the training and just to, to, uh, to tell you the truth, I mean, that sequence in the documentary is when he, and people should go and watch it, but there's a sequence where he's, where a scene where he's in his little pump house and we show him doing what he does every day, which is, you know, getting up, getting, get up in the morning, you know, brush your teeth. He says, go do some testing. Right. So he goes to that little shed and he does the testing every day and he has to, you know, keep track of how many gallons of water the neighborhood is consuming. 
through the two wells that they had. And then, you know, he has to detect leaks. If there are leaks, he has to, you know, communicate those, that information to the Ohio EPA. So this one guy has to stay on top of all the regulatory requirements that come from the federal government and the state government, right? And it seems, it almost defies, you know, it, it seems unreal, right? That one person can do all these things. But the reality is that across the United States, like I was saying at the beginning, most public water systems are like that. They're operated by one or two people. They have a pickup truck. Uh, they have a little shed, a pump house, maybe a well or two. And we really um, depend on these people, right, um, to make sure that we drink clean water. And we don't reach, we don't really know that, right? Most of the time, we don't know that. So, um, so yeah. So, you know, including Mount Air for us was a way of uh, making this. Uh, these examples visible to people so we can all learn where our water comes from. Um, they ended up, like you said, uh, at some point, the breaks were becoming um, so common in that little water system that they decided, you know, we probably need to switch to something else, to a distribution, uh, distribution system that is more resilient, that is better. And so they started reaching out to to people, you know, here in Columbus, they reached out to the city of Columbus. Uh, there's a, a thing that didn't make it into the final cut of the documentary that is very interesting, which is that, you know, the city of Columbus to uh, um, to have them basically draw water from this from their system. What they ask of this little neighborhood is to annex to Columbus, right? And of course, you know, once you annex, you have to start paying your taxes to the city and they didn't want to do that. They wanted to remain, you know, unincorporated to remain part of the township where they are. And so for them, it was a struggle because they were trying to figure out a way of getting new water without having to, you know, lose um, their legal status as an unincorporated community, which they like a lot now. Um, so they they were able to do it because, you know, they were able to get money, uh, public funds in the form of a loan, no interest loan, to be able to build a new system that eventually a company called Delco Water um, is is providing the water through. So yeah, now they have the, this new system. They they are part of the distribution system for Delco water. But of course, it wasn't cheap, right? $16,000 for each one of those houses. So if you're a, you know, a house owner in that neighborhood, all of the sudden, you want you know, new water, you got to pay $16,000. That's not, you know, it's not cheap. But it's a community in which most people can do it, right? Yeah. So the challenge of affordability there is definitely different than the challenge of the challenge of affordability in a neighborhood where you know most people or a, a big chunk of the people are living under the poverty line, right? These are these are very different populations. Yet all of them are talking about affordability. So that's another goal of the movie, right? What do we mean when we talk about affordability? Is affordability the same across you know different communities? Well, clearly it's not, right? Yeah. I think that's a really powerful point. And I think it's so fascinating to watch the the movie and then contrast it to, you know, you show sort of the inner workings of, um, you know, the Cleveland water system and their, you know, testing and their huge facilities. And it's sort of this 
uh, which I think is probably by design, sort of a little bit of whiplash. You know, you go from this guy in his shed in the backyard testing, and then you go to a huge utility like Cleveland that's serving, I don't know how many people. Um, But there's a, what I thought was really interesting is with like that Mount Airy example and those smaller communities, there's an intimacy there with the a direct mm-hmm. connection with the water. And then a, a city, you say like, whether it's Cleveland or Toledo or elsewhere, there's that huge gulf, right? Between, you know, what's happening at the utility and what's happening with the neighborhoods and, and the individuals who are impacted. And I think there's some really powerful moments um, in the film there with, you know, to, you talked with our colleague, Crystal Davis um, in Cleveland um, and Alicia Smith uh, with Junction Coalition in Toledo. And so talk a little bit about that gulf that you sort of really tackle, you know, in those big communities between these giant utilities and the individuals on the ground yeah. saying, you know, my water is polluted or I can't afford it. Yeah. Yeah. That was another, you know, goal of us to show that um, for something that is as important as water, which is, you know, clearly a local issue, right? I mean, there's, there's few things more local in nature than water provision, right? Um, it, it, you know, one thing that I thought that, that was interesting is that for something as, as inherently local as water, um, in a democratic society, you need to pay attention to the, the actors that are between the people and the decision makers, right? Uh, clearly, you know, uh, even though people are trying always to do the right thing, um, you know that if the federal government has reduced investment in water infrastructure and now it falls on, you know, the shoulders of local governments, well, they're going to try um, to the extent that they can to make sure that, you know, um, the, the costs of providing that water are met, right? And that means that sometimes, well, you know, the, the water bill is going to go up, right? And I would say that without the work of um, the NGOs that work on this in this space, um, you know, we complain about the water bills growing more than inflation. That's been happening for at least 20 years. But I think that gulf between how much the bills grow and cost of living would be even higher without the um, the important role that the NGOs have to play. Because basically, again, in a democracy, what we need are these, you know, these watchdogs, right? That's what organizations like yours uh, do. You know, they just keep an eye on the policy-making system and and decision-making, right? And whenever something happens that doesn't seem right, the little red flag comes up. And I think that's, uh, you know, it's a a service that most citizens uh, don't even know that it's being offered, you know, just to protect the public good. So we wanted to be able to showcase the work of these organizations. And we focus obviously on the Alliance for the Great Lakes. And then, um, you know, there were other organizations that are not directly profiled in the documentary, like the Ohio Environmental Council or, you know, Freshwater Future. These are organizations that do amazing work on water affordability in the state of Ohio, just because of a matter of, you know, the amount of time we had uh, for the dog, you know, we had to pick and choose. Uh, and we thought, well, let's pick, you know, one in Cleveland uh, or that is active in Cleveland, one that is active in Toledo out of the many that are active, right, in these places. And just try to show, you know, in, in a small amount of time that we have, you know, 
what is the, the work that they do? And I think, you know, Crystal um, was great. I mean, I, I, I love the interview with her because you can, you can hear when she talks about, you know, having these listening tours, right? Going to different communities and talking to people and listening to people, um, which I think is so critical, right? Uh, these are communities that uh, usually uh, are used to people telling them, you know, talking mm -hmm. to them. And the most important thing here is to listen to them. And I think that's one of the cool things that um, Crystal Davis uh, talked about. You know, you, you know, you got to listen to know what the needs are and then bring that information to the utilities, bring that information to the politicians, the decision makers. And actually, when you see the response of the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, which is also showcased in the movie, you know, um, Constance Hack, who's the person that we interviewed, she actually acknowledges this importance of the NGOs in these processes, right? She very clearly says, you know, we, we need them. And at the same time, she says, you know, we are also interested in educating the NGOs about how we see the problem. So there's this dialogical relationship um, that I saw in that, even though they never shared the screen at the same time between Constance and Crystal, they they clearly are, you know, speaking to each other sort of, right? Um, and they're doing it in, in a way that I think is very constructive. You know, we are going through tough times, you know, politically, and we're used to just seeing the opposite side as, as our enemies. And you can, you can tell that that's not the case here. Here are people with different views about affordability, but they're trying to, you know, you know, learn how to uh, teach each other, I guess, uh, about their, mm -hmm. their views and their opinions. And so I thought that was great. And then if you go to the case of Toledo, where you have the Junction Coalition and Alicia Smith, Smith, it's a little bit different because in Toledo, what we are showing is the Toledo water crisis of 2014 and how that sort of crisis can reshape, um, you know, the role that some of these organizations have. And in this case, you know, this is a neighborhood organization that saw a need uh, or, or a, a gap, I guess, you know, here are water problems. Nobody here at the local scale, neighborhood scale is paying attention to it. We should start paying attention to it. Um, and and also, you know, it's a, it's it's a different style. If you, I think, if you compare somebody like Crystal to Alicia, different leadership styles, but for different reasons, both of them, you know, equally effective. So that's the other thing we wanted to portray people that are effective, you know, at what they do, because um, there's a lot of like failed leadership as well. Uh, but we wanted to concentrate in the cases that we thought, um, you know, are, are doing something good, right? Um, so, yeah, so, and and we, of course, you know, if you think about it at the, the very local scale, you can also find those leaders, right? So in Mount Air, you know, mm -hmm. all the people that are operating the systems are, are neighbors who decide to think about the public good, you know, that I'm doing something for my neighbors and, and that's leadership too, right? At, at a very, you know, uh, local scale, I guess but equally effective, right? You need people to take those positions of leadership. That's the, the inspiring thing about, about the movie to me, that every time, every time I talk to somebody, I interviewed somebody for this project, I, you know, I found true leadership, you know, in mm -hmm. every case. Every person that you see in the documentary, even though some of them, they have, you know, less screen time, all of them 
are really powerful, you know, voices of change. Uh, even the ones working in the utilities, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Yeah. And I think that that also gets at, you know, one of the other themes that, that really, um, resonated with me is, is the, the conversation around trust, right? Like you can't mm -hmm. have those those conversations without some trust. And, you know, particularly Toledo is in a situation where that trust was very severely broken with the water mm -hmm. crisis, what, six or so years ago now, yeah. you know, where people turn on their taps and there's a moment of trust that happens. You turn on your tap of the house and yeah. you assume everybody else is making it work. And through a terrible chain of events that their mm. water in Toledo was contaminated by a harmful algal bloom on the lake um, and you couldn't drink it, you couldn't brush your teeth with it. Um, and so there's a lot of repairing of trust there. Um, mm. And I thought that was a really interesting part of the conversation. Um, and, uh, you know, but you see that theme of trust showing up among all these communities. So that was really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a part there where uh, Manny Todoro says that, you know, distrust is contagious. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was interesting after, so we taped the interview with him in, uh, I want to say late September last year. Um, we actually at attend the same conferences or yeah. a few of the same conferences. So I This was uh, the American Political Science Association annual meeting in Seattle. So, I, you know, I was there presenting a paper and I brought all my camera yeah. gear. I couldn't bring the cinematographer because it was in Seattle. And so I went there with, a, with the cameras that I owned and we staged the, uh, the interview. And when, we, when I came back from Seattle, that was in, you know, like I said, late, late September. You know, this idea of distrust is contagious was stuck in my brain. And actually I started doing some, some research on uh, newspaper, newspapers that were in the area surrounding Toledo, not, not mm. local newspapers from Toledo, but from towns around Toledo. And I started finding clips and news stories about exactly that, you know, mm. uh, our water is fine, you know, no reason to worry mm. about our water. And it's because mm. everybody was looking at Toledo. And so, This is true, right? I mean, once you, you know, we know this, right? Trust is very difficult to build and very easy to break. And once you break it, it's very hard to build it back up. And so, um, yeah, this is something that we clearly observed in Toledo, right? Even though the Department of Public Utilities in Toledo says our water is safe to drink, and it is safe to drink, at least according to the testing they do, it is safe water, um just people don't trust it right mm -hmm. and this you know distrust epidemic can leave you in a very bad place regarding affordability because the first thing people do when they distrust their water system is they go buy bottled water right mm -hmm. and we have a testimony of this in the movie just people this has been almost eight years eight years ago that that happened that water crisis and you know People are still not drinking water from the tap, right? They're still consuming, uh, you know, bottled water, which is the most expensive water you can you can buy, really. Um, and and I, you know, I think utilities need to know that this is a problem, and I think utilities do know this. Obviously, anybody watching this from a utility standpoint, they're going to go like roll their eyes, like, yeah, we know this. 
but sometimes they behave as as if they know as if they don't you know um i think toledo actually if you ask me i think they did pretty good in in that water incident that they have by the way mm-hmm. uh, toledo public uh public utilities the department of public utilities do not refer to this as a water crisis you know they call it a water incident and <laughs> when you talk to them and you refer to the water crisis, they will say, well, it's not, it wasn't really a crisis, it was a water incident. And it's, you know, that's another interesting point, whether it's a crisis or not, the important thing is that the people are talking about it as a water Mm -hmm. crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so they are behaving as if it was a water crisis, regardless of whether you want to call it a crisis or not. Um, So, but I thought the city of Toledo did great, right? I mean, when that happened, with the the harmful algal bloom happened, you know, in literally hours, they had released this uh, "do not drink" advisory, and so they were on top of things. They just were trying to, you know, uh, inform people quickly. But it was such a traumatic mm-hmm. event that people just became distrustful of their water, and now you know they have to deal with that. Eight years later, they're still trying to rebuild trust. And I don't know how long will it take for that to happen, if trust is ever going to return. These things stay in the collective memory, right, of these communities. Um, But all they can do at this point is just make sure that their water is always of the best possible quality can be, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's some really powerful work in you. You know, you certainly, as you talked about, you profile Alicia Smith and Junction Coalition and really pushing to make sure that the communities at the table in conversations with the utility and with government and you profile a, a man who was, I think, on the city council, you mm-hmm. know, making sure those people are really coming together and rebuilding that trust. And it's a it's a really powerful example. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of curious when you. I think this is the first documentary you have done, right? Um, And you, when you created, when you embark on this kind of project, um, obviously you sort of plan out your interviews and your filming locations and kind of have a general scope of where the, the project might go. But at the same time, documentary making is also a process of discovery, right? And it's sort of evolving as you go along. So I'm curious, if you had any surprising or unexpected moments or discoveries while making the film. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I would say the approach that we, maybe because I mean, I'm in academia, you know, I'm a university professor. So uh, as I was preparing to put together this documentary, I sort of like took a very, you know, scientific approach to it so i i've been doing research on water policy for a number of years um so i had a pretty clear idea of what the problems were going to be like um i had done a significant amount of research before i ever got to like tape an interview Mm -hmm. i was actually talking to a documentarian professional filmmaker a few weeks ago and he was asking me so how much of you know what you see in the final version you had planned and i said well pretty much all of it is and Mm -hmm. he couldn't believe it he said oh man my documentaries are very different you know i (laughs) I just go and find out things with the camera and i was like well not not really in my case i found out stuff before and then i took the camera and i pointed at people and i asked them to 
tell me, tell me their experiences, but I kind of knew already because mm-hmm. I'd been doing the research. So having said that, though, there are things that I had no idea. Like one of them is, um, you know, affordability seems to be a problem everywhere, everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought that I was going to run into like, you know, maybe a couple of places where affordability was an issue and in other places it wasn't going to matter because I'm dealing maybe with, you know, communities that are a little bit more affluent. But not really. I mean, when it comes mm-hmm. to the issue of water and clean water and, you know, treating water to high standards, there's always going to be the issue of affordability because, you know, we don't like paying for things, right? And we are used to, in this country in particular, since the 70s, to having high quality, cheap water. And we've Mm -hmm. gotten used to that. We don't even look at our, you know, water bills for the most part, right? I mean, we get it and we pay it. It's not a big deal. And because we do that, you know, we don't conserve water, um, Mm But the reality is we've been, you know, pampered. Is that the word pampered? Yeah. Uh, for, yeah. For, many, for many years. And now we're starting to see our infrastructure decay and, you know, being in, in need of updates. And as that happens, well, somebody's going to have to pay for that, right? So the money has to come from somewhere. And this is a problem for every community, not just a, a, a few of them or a minority of them. It's for most of them, right? So... Water affordability problems are everywhere. Another thing that I that I knew sort of, but now I kind of understand it better is that you know water access and water provision can be something that political actors use to cement their power. You know, water is power. Mm-hmm. And we've also known this for a long time, right? I mean civilizations, the most advanced civilizations are the ones that have been able to gather water resources, protect them, distribute them, make them available to a larger percentage of the population. Those are, you know, it's almost almost by definition, you know, civilizations, strong civilizations are water civilizations, right? And so we know that, but we have it in the back of our heads, really. When you start having discussions with people that tell you, yeah, they offer us to give us water, but then we have to start, you know, paying taxes, becoming a part of their community because they want to expand. Okay, well, so it is about power, right? Mm-hmm. I control water, then I control a source of income, basically. And that's something that I hadn't thought about that much, you know? And now I think about that a lot, you know, that. Whoever controls the tap controls mm-hmm. money, right? Yeah. Um, and and the last thing that, you know, I really, I think I mentioned this before, but, you know, I, I was floored by the, um, the talent and the sheer amount of human capital that we have, you know, with the people that are, you know, working on this topic, uh, on water provision and water affordability. Um, even though I knew that there are people that are amazing working in this space, once you actually sit down with them and talk to them and you see the passion and the level, of the amount of knowledge that these people have, um, you cannot help but to be optimistic mm-hmm. about you know the future. Um, it's a very thorny issue, but 
they're really we we really have bright people working on these uh, topics and and that brings me peace as a as a citizen you know when i see that um that i have people like crystal or like uh, uh alicia smith or my neighbors here from mount air you know people that really are putting all they have um behind this idea that you know water should be accessible in high quality for all right mm -hmm. that's why we named it the movie and water for all you know because we saw these people just working with that even though they don't use that language uh, you know they they truly deeply uh, believe in the fact that every human being uh, to fulfill themselves as human beings you know they need to have certain resources and water is the most basic of those resources mm -hmm. right yeah so that's another thing that was like a, a cool <laughs> learning experience for me just to, yeah. to see the talent you know mm -hmm. in space mm -hmm. amazing amazing yeah and speaking of talent and of the future, um, the I loved that you ended the film with a music video or the end the end credits have a music video. And I think if I read correctly, it's a from a group of students. Tell us a little bit about that video and, and how you got connected with them. Well, yeah. So to tell you how I got connected, I got to tell you how I first watched it. So when we went to Toledo to tape our interviews, we visited the Junction Coalition. Uh, which is this organization. And we were doing interviews there and we were not supposed to interview Alicia, not because we didn't want to, but because she wanted, when we reached out to her, she said, you know, I, I am a member of the Junction Coalition and I want all voices to be, uh, to be showcased if possible. So she gave us a list of people. We started talking to people and then when we were doing the one of the interviews at the Junction Coalition, she just walked into the building. So I went and I introduced myself and I say hello. And uh, and we started talking. And the more I talked to her, and this was like 10 minutes, I'm like, I got I to gotta convince this woman to uh, sit down for an interview. She, she, she's great. And I'm thinking, well, how can I do that? And so one of the things that I thought is, Maybe I can invite her to come to Columbus. We have a seminar series in the School of Environmental and Natural Resources. And I thought it'd be great to have her come talk to our students about her advocacy work. I also teach an environmental policy class and we have a week where we cover advocacy. And you know, I invited her to come to my class and then come to the seminar. And she was gracious enough that she decided to, okay, I'm gonna come. And then in the process of doing that, I said, well, maybe we can shot the interview for the documentary. And she agreed to do that. So I, I had to convince her, you know, she was interested in showcasing other people, not so much herself. Um, but in the process of her giving this talk to uh, our seminar for our graduate students, she plays that song in her presentation. And when I hear the song, I thought that goes perfect with my idea uh, for the movie, because there's not many water centric songs you know out there that you can find and this had the added value of being uh, produced by these young people you know so anyway alicia had taken that video from youtube and i recorded that interview with alicia so i came back home that night and i downloaded the files in my computer and i started looking for that part of her presentation where the video was in and I find the video and then I go to YouTube and I start doing a search 
of the song, which is called Liquid Gold. And I find the song and I realize that there's two organizations that have produced that song. One is called um, the Milwaukee Water Commons. It's a, mm-hmm. a nonprofit organization from Milwaukee. The other one is called True School. True School is another organization, nonprofit from Milwaukee that works with you know, young people and educates them uh, about important societal issues through hip hop music. <laughs> and I realized that both of these organizations had worked together with this group of young folks uh, to produce this video. So I reached out to them. Um, I reached out to the young man who wrote the song. His name is Tyrone King. And I said, hey, you know, we have this movie. It's based in Ohio. I know that, the, you know, the video was made in Milwaukee. But, you know, we are dealing with Great Lakes uh, issues here, too. We have a, 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 you know, a sequence in Toledo. And the message of the song goes perfectly with the message of the movie, which is we should access or give access to clean water to everybody if we can. And and uh, we got to protect it, right? The song basically, you know, just hits all these notes, um, all these points that we're interested in, in bringing across. And so, yeah, when we did that, they were great. And they're like, yeah, of course, you know, please use it. Um, I also have to, to explain to them, you know, this is, this is not a Netflix documentary. You know, we have a very, you know, limited budget for this. And they were like, oh, don't worry about that. You know, just just you including this. It's a good cause. So go ahead and do it. And so, yeah, they were super cool. And yeah, I'm super happy with the with the fact that we can have that 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 song at the end. I think it uh, brings everything together rather nicely. So, yeah, that's the story. Yeah, I loved it. I've listened to it a couple of times and I was like, this is this is a fantastic partnership and a great way to end the film. Um, and, you know, I just want to, um, you know, say thanks so much. This has been such a great conversation and we could probably talk for hours more. Um, but, uh, you know, remind, let our listeners know, how can people find the documentary and Water for All and learn more? Yeah, so, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, Good things about this that it's absolutely free, right? So you can go to YouTube um, and just do a search and water for all, and you'll see that there's a, a channel, a YouTube channel, and there's only two videos there. There's the trailer, uh, and then there's the movie. So just click on the movie, watch the movie, and then um, if you want to learn a little bit more about you know resources to um, to inform yourself a little bit more about water affordability, you can go to my website which is ramiroberardo.net. And once you make it there, you'll see that there's a page for the doc in the main menu. Uh, you can see my profile, the research I do, but then you have this, this, uh, this page for the documentary. And when you click there, you'll see a number of resources from you know, readings to um, links to the different organizations that are uh, part of the documentary or that made it into the final cut of the documentary. So it's all there. It's all uh, available for free. So please uh, go ahead and check it out. 
Oh, that's great. And it's a really excellent uh, list of resources. And we will also put all that information up on the Lakes Chat webpage, which is greatlakes.org slash Lakes Chat. So I've been talking today with Ramiro Barardo of The Ohio State University, who has just recently produced and released a new documentary and Water for All. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us, Ramiro. It's been it's been great. Thank you so much for the opportunity of uh, talking to you, Jennifer. And it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. On our website, greatlakes.org slash lakeschat, you'll find links to more information about the topics that we talked about today. And you can also sign up for updates to stay in the know about Great Lakes issues and opportunities to get involved. Special thank you to my colleague, Michelle Farley, who produces this podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you'll know when the next episode drops. Talk to you next week.